Well, we're continuing our series entitled Mind Games, Mind Games. And um, when I was thinking about this particular uh, message today and began to reflect on it, uh, it was interesting because one of the things that uh, became so prevalent in my thought process, I began to reflect on the time when my siblings and I, we would get together, my brothers and my sisters, and uh, I was intrigued, or we were intrigued, by the stories that we would tell over our uh, childhood and how we grew up. And uh, what we tended to focus on was what went wrong. And as we got together to uh, talk about those stories, we would talk about when my mom and dad uh, left the house one day, and I ran down the street screaming, crying after the car, saying, my mama didn't hug me, my dear didn't hug me. And they would laugh about that because my brother, oldest brother, uh, he whipped me all the way back home. And whenever we get together, many times we've gotten together and my older sisters, she would bring that up and she would tell the story. And, and when we would get together, we would also tell the story of the time that my sister was was riding on the handlebars of the bicycle, and my brother hit the brakes really quickly, and uh, they, 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 they talk about how she just came and began to flow through the air, and how she fell down. And we had many good experiences growing up, but what's interesting to me is that we uh, had a general tendency to focus on the negative experiences. And I thought it was a little unusual, but I found out that what we experienced as a family is actually a tendency for everyone. Because what happens in our lives is that the brain, our brain handles positive and negative information really uh, differently. And our negative emotions, they uh, generally involve more thinking. Our negative emotions generally involve uh, more information to process, and then we focus more thoroughly on the negative information than we do the positive information. And so as a result of that, we tend to ruminate, we tend to meditate, we tend to just focus over and over and over again on the things that did not go right or unpleasant events in our lives. And when we describe them, we use strong words to describe them much stronger words than the words that we use to describe positive things. You know what, I, several uh, years ago, I was reminded this week of uh, a number of students that kind of fit that overall description because have you ever gone to a place where you felt that, you know, it's just so bad here, I couldn't take it anymore. You were in a position in your life, a place in life, where it looked like things really couldn't get any worse and you were at the worst situation that you could be in your life or you, could be, you were in the wrong environment. And many times we may think that, you know, uh, things are so bad they, right now that they've never been as bad as they have been in our country. But none of those things are really true. When we look at it, we can look at it and say that there are more entrepreneurs today that work from home than have ever worked. If we look at it today, we could say that men treat women better today than they did many years in the past. We could look and say that uh, human beings are more equal uh, and have opportunities, a greater opportunity, and more equal than they've ever been at any part in our past. Now, 
doesn't mean that things are perfect, but what it does mean is that actually things have gotten better. But there's a tendency to focus on what's wrong, what's negative, what's not working. And our mind began to process that. And we feel that we, it's difficult to get beyond the moment where we are, the place where we are. I want you to take a look at a couple of campers. And there were a couple of letters that I want to share with you today. And uh, there are a couple of uh, campers that uh, uh, wrote their mothers and fathers a letter. And they just... Uh, they just had to uh, tell them how they felt. Mom and dad sent them off to camp. And these kids got into camp and they said, they, they just expressed their feelings back to their mother and their father. Here's one that says, Dear mom and dad, I am so unhappy and I'm positive that I don't want to be here. Pick me up, dad. I'm serious. I feel like someone shot me in the head. <laughs> Hurry. Look at this. And even on the inside of the envelope, before they ever got in to the letter, this kid wrote, I tried to run away, but they caught me. <laughs> this is an interesting letter that uh, a daughter wrote to the mom and dad. It says, and I'm really, really homesick. I know, we, I know you want me to have fun, but I can't. I am sitting on my steps to the cabin crying. And in big, bold letters, I hate it here. The letter before this about me starting to have fun was not true. I just wanted you to be happy and proud of me. I am miserable here. Please, come pick me up. I'm starting to forget your voices. I just really, 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 really want to come home. I did five reallys for the five of us. If you want to be mean by keeping me here, fine. But don't sign me up again. I need you to live my life. <laughs> Love your daughter that needs you. P.S. Come pick me up. Or you will be so, so, so mean. <laughs> now here's one kid that just felt that things just couldn't get any, any worse, that he had come to the end of his life. And he says, hi, I'm stuck in hell. And they won't let me call for you to pick me up. So when you get this, pick me up. I mean, straight to the point. Isn't it amazing that in times in life that we might be in a place in life where we think that it is the worst that I've ever been and things couldn't get any worse, that I need to get out of this situation. But we know when the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 18, it tells us that in everything give what? Thanks. In everything give what? Thanks. In everything give thanks. Why? Because for this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus for you. And so I want you to notice this, that God gives us instructions at times in our lives. He's written certain things in the word that we are to receive. There are many times that we don't understand why God says what he says. But even though we don't understand it, God desires that we trust him, that we do what he has said. And the Bible calls that obedience. And we don't understand why God wants us to do what he's telling us to do. But he said that I have come for you to have a life that's better than any other life that you can have. So therefore, whatever God instructs us to do, he does it so that we could have a better life. And so it is not for us to understand everything that God instructs us to do, but it is for us to do everything that God instructs us to do. And so he says that in everything, not, not because of everything, but he says in everything, Give thanks. Why? Because this is my will for you. Now, we started out this particular series in Romans, and we began to look at what the Bible talks about uh, in the second and third verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing or the renovation of your mind so that you can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will. So notice this, that whatever limits us from fully enjoying the life that God has with us starts with our thoughts. And he says that what I want you to do is in everything give thanks because this is what gets you to my will. This morning we're going to look at the life of a man who really, really took this particular passage very seriously. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And as you open your Bibles to the book of Job chapter 1, um, I heard uh, one time that many people don't like to read this particular passage because they don't call it Job, they call it Job. And so as we look at Job's chapter 1, Job chapter 1, let's look at verse uh, 3, verse 3. Now the Bible tells us that Job was a man that was amazing. God loved Job. Uh, not only was Job a man who was amazing, but he had some amazing kids as well. And in uh, Job chapter 1, because of Job's love for God, his, his trust in God, his obedience to God, God had blessed him. And the Bible tells us how much God had blessed him. And uh, it tells us that he had uh, uh, seven sons and three daughters. Uh, they were born to him. But look in verse 3. It says, also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that his, this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now, the Bible called Job the greatest of what? All the people. Now, Let's take a look and let's just begin to see what happened to Job. Job has this amazing life. He has this wonderful life. And in Job chapter 1, verse 6, champions, let's read that together down through verse 11. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, uh-huh. Let's read it together now. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to the present, present themselves before the Lord, 
and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. My God, it seems like uh, Satan lived then. But man, he's talking about people cursing you to your face as if he lives now. And when we look at that and we particularly read about Job, one of the things that we recognize is that Job is a man who uh, has run away from evil and Satan comes in. And the Bible tells, says that God asks him, he seems a little frustrated. I'm going to and fro. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan recognizes that God has blessed him, that Job has something special in his relationship with God. And uh, so he says that Job doesn't really fear you for anything because you've blessed him more than anyone else. You have a hedge of protection around his blessing so that he cannot lose it. And you not only have a hedge of protection around his blessing, but around his life. And he says, he says that if you'll just remove it from him, then he'll treat the relationship that he has with you based on what he has. And so isn't it interesting that Satan knew what Job had, so he must have been to Job's house. One day Job wakes up, and when he wakes up, he doesn't know what's going on because nothing has changed, but yet everything has changed. And he wakes up, and it's not like any other day. And so the things that were going right yesterday are not the things that are going right today. And so Job doesn't have a role model, someone that he can go to that can mentor him. Uh, Job uh, doesn't have a Bible that he can read to know what needs to be done. Job has never seen what is happening to him happen before. But there are two things that Job has. Job has his faith. And Job has his praise. And Job's faith is a belief and a trust that God is always good. And, and he had his praise. And, and, and the praise, this is not a song. But, but, but it is a, a, a consideration in his heart, a convincing in his heart that he had a favorable opinion in his heart of God. So Job has his praise, a favorable opinion of heart of God in his heart, and he has his faith fully persuaded that God is always good. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that when you go through something in life, that there are times when you cannot explain what, what, what's happening, what's going on, and what you're going through. And perhaps it might be a decision that you have made and you can really... Uh, pinpoint that. But then one of the most frustrating things is to see things happening in your life 
and not know why it's happening because if you knew why it was happening, you could make adjustments to correct the results of what has been happening. And so in this life of Job, nothing has changed, but yet everything has changed. Do you know what? There's four situations that I want you to just write down that if you're not experiencing right now, at some point in your life, you will experience them. And these are the four situations that are present in Job's life. Number one, Job had unexplainable trouble, unexplainable problems. He couldn't explain what was going on in his life. Because what has happened in his life that Job has lost his, his uh, children. Job has lost his possessions. Satan attacked him. Job has lost um, his wife. Job has lost his health. And the enemy attacked him every way that he knew how. And he's lost all of these things. He doesn't know what's going on in his life. But you know the amazing thing? It happens one after another, one after another. Not days or weeks pass, but it's like one after the other. Bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing happened. Trouble happened. And, and, and the amazing thing about it is that it leads us to the second unexplainable thing, uh, uh, situation that's present in his life, is that it seems like his faith isn't working. Because see, before, how he served God was working. But now, when all of these things happen, it looks like on the outside looking in that his faith isn't working. His obedience isn't working. How he has trusted God over the years, it is not working for him. And do you know what's amazing about that is that when you're doing the right things, and Job was a perfect example of it because he said that, you know, when I'm looking all around and I see these wicked people, that, that, that they are doing wrong things, but yet that they can lie down in their troubles, but they wake up and it seems like they got a blessing. David had to deal with that very same thing because David says that how can those who trouble me increase? And so Job, in the middle of the book, he's wondering why is it that all these wicked people are, are really seem like that they're having the best things happen in their lives? He is, he is wondering about this. But again, remember that he has two things. He has his what? Faith. And he has what? His praise. He has his faith and he has his, his praise. He has his worship. And so the first thing that we see there, the unexplainable or the situations that are present in his life, that he has unexplainable trouble or problems. The second thing is that it seems like his faith isn't working. And the third thing, his friends are not a support to him. Isn't it amazing when everything's going right, it seems like that you just can't have a, you, you, you've got a lot of friends, a lot of people that will hang with you. But when things are going not so right, it seems like people will develop a relationship with you based on what they do not know about you. But the more they know about you, the more they know your challenges, the more they know your struggles, the further they get away from you rather than embracing you. So here are Job's friends and they are trying to explain to him what he's doing wrong in his life. They're not supporting uh, where, he's, where, he, where he is and what he's going through. And isn't it frustrating to you that when you're going through a tough time that people start coming up trying to tell you and analyzing your situation? Well, if you do this, if you don't do that. One of the most frustrating things, because when you're at a place, you don't need somebody telling you what, how wrong you are or what you're doing wrong. What you need is you need their what? Support. And so Job is in a place where his friends are not supporting him. 
And he recognized that, you know what, I've come to a place where I can't do anything about it. The people that I know, they can't do anything about it. And it leads him to his fourth situation that's present in his life. He can't find God. He can't discern that God is with him. Although he had his faith believing that God is always good. He had his praise, a positive, a good opinion of God, but he came to a place in his life where he could not identify God. He couldn't find God. And so not only does he not have the support of his friends, not only has he lost everything that he has, he's come to a place that the one thing that he's relied on his entire life he cannot even locate. And so in Job chapter 23, verse 9, come on champions, let's read verse 9, 8, 9, and 10. Let's read it together. This is Job talking. Let's read it together. Now, look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backwards, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, he says that I shall come forth as pure gold. Notice the faith that he has. Notice the faith that he has. Notice the opinion of God that he has. That he would not allow what he's experiencing at the moment to to taint his perception and opinion of God. Every person goes through a place in life when it comes down that you can't see since it's present. It may be for a day. It may be for a week. It may be for a season. And you wonder, where is God? Where is God in this? Times when you have a faith, but you can't find him for yourself. And so you're shut up in a season and shut up in this season where you can't find God and you don't know what he wants you to do. Let me say this. The Satan was never out to destroy Job. Satan was never out to take Job's things. He wasn't out to afflict Job's body. He wasn't out to kill Job. But he told God, he says that God, if you will bring that hedge down, and he experiences difficult times in his life that he'll change his opinion of you. But what's interesting about that, when he talks about Job changing his opinion of God, he's talking about Job losing his praise. Why is that? Why was it so important? Look, the enemy was not after his money. The enemy was not after his family. The enemy was not after any of those things. The enemy, look, the first thing that Satan destroyed of Job was his livestock. And why was it so important to to, to take his livestock away? It's because during that day, the way they worshiped was that they would bring livestock and they would offer up a sacrifice to God. And if you did not have a sacrifice, then you did not worship. And so what the enemy did is the enemy says that if I could take his worship away, If I could take his praise away, if I could take his worship away, it will change the opinion that he has of God. He won't be able to connect. And because he cannot connect, that he won't be able to praise. And because he will not be able to praise, he will lose his opinion that God is always good. He'll lose his faith. And so he attacked his ability to worship first. And that's why God said that in everything give thanks. Keep worshiping me 
Why? It's because the enemy's not after your stuff. You may see that he's after your stuff, but what he's after is the intimacy and the worship that you have with God. He's trying to take your praise. And so there is something powerful in our praise. There is something powerful in our worship. Why? It's because he was trying to change Job's opinion that God was a healer. He was trying to change his opinion that God was a provider. That God was a deliverer, that God was a supporter. He was trying to change his opinion of God. And so the battles that you face in life, it doesn't have to do with your job. It doesn't have to do with your promotion. It doesn't have to do with your money. It doesn't have to do with your things. It doesn't even have to do with your family. And so what we recognize then is that the adversary is not after any of those things. The battle is not in your sickness. The battle is not in your back pain. It's not in your heart problems. It's not in your high blood pressure. Uh, It's not in your relationship. That's not where the battle is. You may feel that it is, but it is not. The goal of the enemy is to put so much pressure on you until the same person that used to lift up their hands, the same person that used to speak well of God, that he can change the opinion that you have of God. And by changing your worship, he can change your praise. And by changing your praise, he can affect your faith. And that's why when Jesus was in the desert and the enemy came at his most weakest moment, his most challenging time physically, what did Jesus say? That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth. Man shall worship the Lord God. And him alone shall you worship. So notice this. I want you to see this. That Elder Anji talked very powerfully on last week about all of us have internal desires. And we have an ego. And there's a superego. And the internal desires are the things that you want. But your ego is the things that increase so that you can make happen with the things that you desire. But as we grow spiritually, as we mature that there is a super ego that should dominate our lives. Although your eternal desire stays the same, your super ego is so large, it can balance the desire that you have so that you can honor God with what you do. How do you have that super ego to grow to a place where it can create balance in your life, where it can control uh, your desires, where it can control and reduce your, your ego? How? Why? And Psalm 8, 2. You may not know where your trouble comes from. Job did not know. He did not know why his friends wouldn't support him. But you know what Job said? Job says that, you know, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And he says that, and look at the faith he had. And after my flesh is destroyed, I shall see him in my flesh. Wait a minute. After your flesh is destroyed, then in your flesh you'll see him. Look, after I go through what I go through, that after I've gone through it, I'm still going to see it. That's what Job is saying. Why? It's because he never lost faith or confidence. See, when he lost everything that he had, he didn't have have his animals to worship. He looked around and he didn't have his possessions. But you know what he did? He got a revelation and began to transfer from the old into the new and began to declare that, you know what? I'm a living sacrifice. And he just began to worship and offer up himself to God, even though he did not have the traditional way of worship. 
And so notice what happens. Why God tells us in everything, give thanks for this is his will. Why is it that God wants us to always have a good opinion of him? Why is it that he always wants us to worship? He wants us to praise no matter where you go, what you're going through. It's because your praise has power. Your worship has power. And if you don't feel like praising, if you don't feel like worshiping, the Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. It's like, it's not about how you feel because God wants to get you from where you are into where he desires you to be. And he says that. So I declare, just offer up a sacrifice of praise. I don't feel like a sacrifice of praise. Why? It's because your, your praise will get you to a place that God has already prepared for you. And one of the ways that we can take control of our thoughts, one of the ways that we can take control of the atmosphere, one of the ways that we can renovate our mind is to fill our mind with the praises of the Most High God. That we can worship Him and magnify Him. Why? It's because there's power. Well, okay, well, you say, well, show me, okay. Psalm chapter 8. Why is important that you do it? Psalms 8 2. Psalm 8 2. Come on, would you read that with me? Together? Now? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Wait a minute. Out of the mouth of babes and infants that can't even feed themselves, they can have strength. He ordained strength. And the reason he did it was because of the enemy. And that, that, that he could silence the enemy. He could silence your, the one that was coming against you. He could silence the one that was trying to stop you from what God had for you. He says that, look, I want you to know that there is strength that comes from nursing infants and babies. Well, what strength comes from them? Look in Matthew chapter 21, verse 16. Matthew 21, verse 16, it says it like this. Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. See, what happens when we praise? It comes out of our mouth. And what it does is it releases strength that is necessary to shut up your enemy. That's why he says that in everything, give thanks. See, when the enemy is talking to your mind, God says that you praise out of your heart. You began to worship me. And why? It's because the thoughts in your mind will be silenced simply because there's a praise that's coming out. And God says that babies don't even have strength within themselves. Infants cannot even feed themselves, but there's a strength that I've ordained in their mouths. And what is that strength? He gets over into the new covenant. He says, praise. It's praise. Do you know what should happen on Monday, Sunday mornings? My God, at 10 o'clock, everybody should be here ready for the first note. Well, why do you say that? Because see, there's a praise in the house. That it should be stronger. There are more people in the audience than are on stage. 
my God. And so as long as you hold back, the enemy can work a work. But man, if you say, I don't care who's around me, I don't care. I got to get out of these high heel shoes because they hurt my corns on my toes. You got to do whatever you need to do so that you're not restricted by your own limitation. But you can go beyond your thoughts. You can go beyond your own ability. And you can say that although I don't have strength within myself, there is a power in my praise. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Look at this. God's trying to get something to you. He's trying to do something on your behalf. He's trying to get something to you. He's trying to do something on your behalf. Look what happens here. Job, now the Lord, come on, let's, let's read that together. Let's read it together. Look at this. Now, Job has gone through all the stuff he's gone through. Look, Job has gone through all the stuff. He's lost his ability to worship. Job has lost his family. Job has lost his possessions. Job has lost his servants. His wife says that, why don't you, when he got the boils on his body, why don't you curse God and die? That's what his wife told him. But Job says, no, no, no. After I go through what I'm going through in my flesh, in my flesh, God's going to come through for me, and in my flesh, I'll see him. I may not know where he is right now. I may not feel his presence, but I'm fully persuaded that as I keep praising through what I'm going through right now, I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. And so you notice what happens. He goes through all of this stuff. He experiences all of these things in life. And God and his friends are down on him. And God says, you know what? Tell his friend, look, I heard what you said. And what you said is not true. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get your livestock. And I want you to bring your livestock to Job. And when you bring your livestock to Job, Job's going to pray for you. Job's lost his ability to worship, but he didn't stop worshiping as a living sacrifice. But what God says that I'm going to show you what I'm going to do, and he, he tells his friends to bring their livestock to Job. Job, and what Job does, Job offers up a sacrifice, and he begins to pray. And when he does that, God restores to him Everything that he has lost. God restored through him. Why? It's because he never lost his praise. He never lost his worship. Even though he lost stuff, he never lost his relationship with God. And notice this in, in Job 42. Let's read it together now. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep. 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. Now, in the beginning, we read how much Job had, and he was blessed more than anyone in the east. Let's look at this next one. In the beginning, Job had 7,000 sheep. In the beginning, Job had 3,000 camels. He had 500 yoke of oxen, and he had 500 female donkeys. But after Job's declared that I'm not going to look at my situation and circumstance and it's going to determine what I do, but I am going to praise God. I'm never going to change my opinion of him. 
that I declare that God is always a good God and that I declare that my worship, my praise will cause me to break through what I'm going through. And notice what happened, that God restored to him the years. 7,000 became 14,000. 3,000 became 6,000. 500 became 1,000. 500 donkeys became 1,000 donkeys. And what God did is that God didn't just bring him back to what he had. He didn't just replace what he had. He restored to him what he had lost. He restored to him what he had lost. See, the beauty about God is that when God restores something, he doesn't bring it back to its original state. But he caused it to be better than it ever was. And God restored to him what? Double. What? Double. God restored to him what? He restored to him what? God restored to him double what he had lost. See, there is power in your praise. It's power in your worship. And when you say that, I'm not going to focus on what I'm going through, but I'm going to declare that God is a good God and he's always good. And I will never, ever, ever change my opinion of him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, I love the way Job ends this thing. In Job 22, he gets a revelation. And he says that this is not the way I thought it was going to come out. Before it's over, I'm going to come out as pure gold. My God, if you can maintain a favorable opinion of God in the midst of what you go through, you'll be able to say something very powerful, that there is a lifting. My God, you'll be able to say that there is a lifting. Come on, let's read it. And let's declare the same thing he declared. Let's read it together. Now, thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. Wait a minute. What are you declaring? God's good all the time. I'm declaring he's good all the time. And so if you keep declaring he's good all the time, what's going to happen? He's going to be good all the time. And, and, and look at what he says. Let's read it together now. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is lifting up. 